Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Cup of Joe podcast. It is Thursday, September the 16th, and uh, wherever you are, whenever you listen to this, I wish you God's grace, God's mercy, uh, God's forgiveness today, that, that experience of being seen, of being loved, of being known, because my friends, that's what we're going to see in our gospel today. We do celebrate a feast day today, uh, Saints Cyprian and Cornelius. I'll speak very briefly about them because my knowledge of them is small, but uh, it is 100% worth uh, pointing to them and uh, being grateful to them, but we'll get to that later. We have a wonderful gospel today. We're back at Luke. Even though it's a feast day today, it's not a high feast day like the last two days that we've had, which have been tremendous, right? Uh, the exaltation of the cross, triumph of the cross, and Our Lady of Sorrows. Well, today we're merely at, a, I guess, a normal feast day with Cyprian and Cornelius, so we're back with Luke chapter 7, and we're going to close out chapter 7 today. It's a longer reading, 36 to 50, verses 36 to 50, but it's a wonderful story, one you're very familiar with. So let's uh, break it open and hear what God has for us today, okay? A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. A certain Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now there was a sinful woman in the city who learned that he was at table in the house of the Pharisee, bringing an alabaster flask of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus said to him in reply, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days' wages and the other owed 50. Since they were unable to repay the debt, he forgave it for both. Which one of them will love him more? Simon said in reply, The one, I suppose, whose larger debt was forgiven. Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet, but she has bathed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I entered. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. So I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. The others at table said to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
My friends, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that's a good one, isn't it? I mean, that really is a gospel, meaning good news. So, okay, let's just set the the stage a little bit uh, about what's happening. We've talked before. Listen, Jesus is an equal opportunity uh, uh, lover, equal opportunity uh, healer, equal opportunity uh, person who would bring the, the message and love and life of God. He'll bring it to anybody who's open. So he will just as easily bring it to this woman at the table or the outcasts in the fringe as he does uh, the centurion the other day, right? Uh, a person in power. Or today, uh, other people in power, Pharisees. Now, it's very possible, uh, and, and I'm not smart enough to be able to say for sure, but it's very possible that Jesus was brought here to be interrogated uh, by the not only Simon, but the other Pharisees around the table, uh, you know, to see if he was quote-unquote orthodox. Uh, and, uh, and why do we get that hint? Again, this is maybe just a hint and, and maybe not true at all. But when Jesus entered, uh, custom was to wash one's feet, and it was customary to give a kiss, and maybe even customary and, uh, to, to anoint one's head. But again, those, are, those show... Uh, a welcoming and a generosity that says, you are most welcome here. And those things didn't happen with Jesus when he entered the house of Simon. So that just kind of points us to the fact that maybe he was there as, uh, as being interrogated, but maybe not. We're not sure. Uh, the other thing is, uh, it has been mistaken for, for centuries, actually, that this woman uh, would maybe have been Mary of Magdala, so Mary Magdalene, as we call her. Um, and uh, the reason that happened is a pope years and years and years ago, I want to say back in about sixth century, uh, took this gospel, which again talks about the sinful woman, right? Uh, and when it says, you know, when Simon says, oh, if, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who this is. It's a sinful woman. You know what that means is she is a prostitute. That's, that's what it's alluding to. So it takes the fact that, that this is a prostitute and it combines it with the fact that, that it might be Mary Magdalene. And throughout the centuries, it's been understood that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. My goodness, all you have to do is watch a bunch of movies about Jesus or, or whatever, and, and that's the sense you get. And there is no sense, brothers and sisters, in the Gospels that that is who or what G- Mary Magdalene was. And why did this pope... Uh, you know, combine it, and, and it may not, have, it may even have been inadvertent. I, I, I hadn't read his homily, but he gave a long, lengthy homily on this gospel and on the one that, that comes next, which, as I suspect we'll see tomorrow, deals with Mary Magdalene and others, but it names her first. And somehow in this homily, where he talks about this sinful woman and Mary Magdalene in tomorrow's gospel, they got combined, and for the next 1,500 years, that's been the idea, that Mary is a prostitute. Invite you to divorce those concepts uh, that Mary was not, and we'll talk more about that tomorrow, okay? So now let's get into a couple of points that I think are marvelous. I mean, first of all, this is such a beautifully written story, right? You know, that that here Jesus is, and this woman, uh, who, again knows where where Simon lives and simply 
the, the my goodness, the courage, maybe desperation. The two kind of live side by side sometimes, don't they? Um, but but in her courage or in her desperation, I suspect it might be the latter, enters into his house uninvited and goes and stands behind Jesus. And in her love, I mean, and again, love in her desperation, in her shame, maybe that's the right word. She simply weeps and, uh, and, and her tears cover the feet of Jesus uh, who is reclining. And, uh, and, and so when it says it bathes them, and meaning it, it, her tears wash down her face in her grief, in her shame, and, uh, and fall onto the person of Jesus and how intimate that is. And if that weren't intimate enough, she sees that happen, unties her hair, uh, which again would have been uh, unacceptable in that culture for a woman to let down her hair to anyone other than her husband and wipes her feet, wipes Jesus's feet, excuse me, with her hair and takes this alabaster flask and anoints his feet. My friends, what her act is doing, I mean, it's just, it is lavish. How she is treating Jesus, again, out of desperation and shame. Maybe those are the the very reasons. But how she treats Jesus out of those places is extravagant in love. Extravagant in love. And Jesus does not bring condemnation to her. Instead, just the opposite. And he tells this marvelous story. I wish I was as clever as Jesus and could turn a phrase and come up with something as quick as he did. But this idea of two debtors who owe him money, and and one was 500, one was 50, and both, since they couldn't pay, were forgiven. Which would love more? And Simon answers it correctly, of course, by saying, well, probably the one who owes more, right? And he says, you are correct. You are correct. In a sense saying, you Pharisees around the table, you, you do owe less. You really do. In, in, in nine ways out of ten, you're, you're living a life that is, is, at least outwardly, that looks holy and good and true. Um, but yet your, your inward stuff that's going on, you, you, you owe this amount. But this woman who outwardly uh, you know, owes what appears to be 500, is, is bathing my feet in, in her shame and in her tears. And, and hence, because she knows the great shame that she carries, the, knows the unforgiveness, knows the sin she carries, and, and, and cannot hide it like you Pharisees do. It's out there. Um, she is just, she's immersed in it and is bringing herself to, to fall at his feet. But here's the line of my first point. Yeah, that's, that's only the preamble to the first point. Sorry. Yeah, we're 10 minutes in. Let's get to point number one. <laughs> but here's what it says, if I can find it. <laughs> so I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. Did you get that? Did you get the order? It didn't say she showed great love, hence her sins 
have been forgiven. It said it the other way around. It said her many sins have been forgiven. Hence, she showed great love. Remember when I say God is not reactive to us, and I praise and I thank God for that. He doesn't wait for us to take the first step. He takes 50 first. Now, we have to act on that, and we have to meet him. We have to take maybe one or two or five. We don't take the 50, praise be to to God. He comes and does 98% of the work. But we do have to take steps. God comes to us with that forgiveness. And hence, hence, because of that, it pours over us. Hence, we show great love, not only for our God, but for those around us. And so, brothers and sisters, I invite us to chew on this. And it's not the only thing I invite us to chew on today, but maybe the most important. Do you realize you're in need of forgiveness? Do I realize it? Do we take time to examine our day, our consciences, our actions, our thoughts, our words? Do we realize that we are in need? You know, outwardly, we may all look good like the Pharisees, and we can fool a whole lot of people, but we can't fool ourselves, right? And we certainly can't fool God. You know, I've I've used this example before, but St. Francis of Assisi, you know, as he was... uh, and I don't believe it was on his dying bed, but, but during his life said, you know, he is the greatest sinner. There is no greater sinner than he. You know, and, and I look at that and say, St. Francis of Assisi may be one of the greatest people to ever live in the last 2,000 years after Jesus Christ. And he calls himself the greatest sinner? Was that simply a false humility? And I don't think so, brothers and sisters. I think what it means is the closer he got to God, and there were few closer, But the closer he got to God, the more he saw what was not of God within him. And the more he had abhorred it and could say, I am the greatest sinner because I see all this that is not of God within me. I guess what this point invites us to, certainly invites me to, is making sure we take time, brothers and sisters, to get closer to God, to be in the presence of God every day. To, to take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and simply open ourselves and allow ourselves, allow the Spirit of God to commune with us and to see us as we truly are, not with all the masks and the walls and all that other stuff, but to see us as we are so we begin to see ourselves as we are, like Francis did, and to say, oh, these are things are not of God, not to shame us, not to guilt us, but to realize, one, we are loved in the midst of that, and two, so we can fall at the feet of our God, hence, and love, because we know we are forgiven in the midst of all that, and hence, able to love much. My friends, I use the idea of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step programs, you know, and, uh, and, and the beauty that they are, uh, that, that people say, you know, my name is Joe and I'm an alcoholic, not to shame me, not to guilt me, not to, to put me in that box and say that's all I am, but to remind ourselves that I am someone in need of forgiveness. And only to the extent that I know I can't get out of this myself, that I have to fall at the feet. I mean, isn't that one of the 12 steps, right? I have to give it over to a higher power because I can't get out of this addiction myself. To realize when I cannot, I fall at the feet. And I bathe God's 
feet in my tears and in my joy that, that God can and does and will forgive me. And that, brothers and sisters, is the beginning of love, isn't it? Because any love we give before we have met love, capital L, um, it's just our own games, I think, I think. And then we can truly love because we've experienced love. Hence, hence, we can show great love. Second and last point, and I'll make this one quicker. Um, who is this who even forgives sins? But Jesus turns to the woman and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now that line, salvation, Jesus saves, or, or God saved us, you know, through the action of the cross or whatever. It's, it's, you know, we don't even know what it means anymore. It's been overused and used with agendas and all this other stuff. Get rid of all this when you hear this line. Your faith has saved you. Who did she put her faith in? This was a woman who carried desperation and shame and guilt. And was a woman in need of being freed, of being unbound, of being forgiven. And she placed her faith in the one who could. That's how her faith saved her. She could have put her faith in the, in the Pharisees around the table. She could have put her faith in, uh, in actions of, of having a, a goat or, or two turtle doves or a bull um, thrown on the, on the altar at the temple. She could have put her faith in a whole lot of other things. She chose one thing. She chose Jesus Christ. And he looked at her and said, you chose wisely. Your faith has saved you because you placed your faith in the right person, the only one who can forgive. Brothers and sisters, all that other stuff are just boxes and, and, and hoops that people want us to jump through, but the only real person we have to go to, the only real one we must go to, uh, who can offer what we hope for, is our God in Jesus Christ. And it saves us because it's real and it floods over us. When we experience this love, we know what it means because all of a sudden we are unbound. We are, are freed and we're freed to love. And we no longer have to carry the expectations of all these other people or institutions or all this other stuff that we carry simply the freedom and love and life that is our God. And that makes us new. Have you experienced that in your life? Because if not, brothers and sisters, I invite us to see, sit at the foot of our Savior today and, and let him show us who we are, really, in our fullness and how much he loves us even there in our fullness, and let that wash over you and free you. Saints Cornelius and Cyprian, they lived in the third century, third century uh, after Christ, so mid-200s, both in Rome. Well, not, that's not true. Cornelius lived in Rome. Um, uh, Cyprian lived in Carthage, so northern Africa. Uh, Cyprian was an incredibly wise uh, and, and good orator, and he was bishop of, uh, of Carthage. And Cornelius 
was a, uh, I want to say a priest in Rome. Uh, and for 14 months after, uh, during the, um, after Fabian was, was killed during whatever persecution was going on there at the time, and it was very intense. For 14 months after Fabian, who was Pope, was killed, nobody stepped into that role. Nobody wanted to. They didn't, uh, they didn't dare for, for fear of this intense persecution that was going on. Well, eventually, Cornelius was elected by the, the priests and the deacons and the elders and the people because they saw his holiness and he stepped in there for two years before he was exiled. But really, the reason these two, and they were friends, even though one was in northern Africa, one in Rome, and and the reason they are together in this day is they helped us come up with an understanding of what forgiveness, appropriately enough with this gospel, looked like in the time. Because again, during this persecution, so before this persecution, there was a relative moment of peace within the church. And a whole lot of people came in to to be uh, among and in the church uh, who really didn't uh, care that much for Christ, but just, you know, saw where it was going socially or whatever it could do for them. And then in the persecution, they fell away because they didn't want to be, you know, counted as, uh, as Christian because it could lose their life. So there was this debate going on at the time of, do we forgive people and let them come back into the church, or if they fell away, if they were an apostate, uh, if they were a, a murderer, or an adulterer, or whatever, even second marriage, no, that there can't be forgiveness. Once you've become a, a Christian, if you sin after that, there is no forgiveness beyond that. So there were both ends of this spectrum, one saying, ah, let anybody in, that's fine, no matter what, it's, it's just, invite them in. And, and the others, you know, in a sense saying cheap grace over here, that they're, you know, big deal. And the other, on the other side, was saying, no, there's no second forgiveness. There's no mercy if you've received it and you, and turned you back on it. Nope, not again. And, and Cyprian and Cornelius found a middle way that said, you know what? Everybody deserves mercy all the time in our life. We're going to continually fall. We know that. But there also has to be an outer action that shows this is real in our life and that our lives are different because of this forgiveness. And now it, it was more nuanced than that, but essentially they found that middle way for us and set that way for us in the church to live that out. You know, we may look back on that and say, well, of course that was the correct way, but we stand upon their shoulders. Back in the year 250, that may not have been as obvious. And, and we praise and thank God for the wisdom of the women and men who had to deal with all these things that we simply take for granted. So the question, of course, comes to us. What will we pass on as a legacy to the church who will come 100 or 500 or, yes, 2,000 years after us? That they say it's obvious, of course, but we right now are, are looking at it and saying, how do we deal with that in this moment? And what makes sense uh, in, in, in how we live that out as church now? What was true then is true now. It's simply the, the issues change. And we need to be the Cyprians and Corneliuses that find that middle way that honors God and honors Christ's presence and honors the church now and well into the future. So let's pray, my friends. And so we continue through the sorrowful mysteries today and, uh, and begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The fourth sorrowful mystery, Jesus uh, is nailed to the cross.
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I'm going to jump back real quick. I think I said Jesus nailed to the cross. It's Jesus carries his cross. That's the fourth. Sorrowful. But anyway, you knew that. (laughs) Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My friends, bless you. Be well. Enjoy the rest of this beautiful Thursday. And I look forward to us coming back together one more time tomorrow to break open God's word. God's peace.